The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org. Ladies and gentlemen, to Trad Controversies on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm your host for this episode, pinch-hitting for James Schraper, Stephen Heiner. And on this episode, I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Director of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. Your Excellency, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. This episode is a members-only episode and is not available for individual purchase and download. To receive access to all Restoration Radio episodes, please visit www.truerestoration.org forward slash radio and go to the member area on the menu bar to find out details on becoming a member. Today we're going to be taking up yet another trad controversy uh, by the name of Bishop Mendez. And the reason why we've chosen to do this is not because uh, Bishop Dolan or Bishop Sanborn or Father Chicada have come to us <laughs> to cover this issue. We've been asking them, and frankly, they've, they've not really talked about this topic for many years, and it's a chance for, for us to hear the record. As I've always pointed out to Bishop Sanborn, once you all go, we won't have any record of those days. So this is part of getting the record straight. It's not about uh, spreading rumors or, uh, or shall we say, we don't want to spread any ugly rumors on this episode, right, Your Excellency? That's right, uh, yes. <laughs> so why don't we start with um, how you met Bishop Mendez in the first place? So we're going to go back to, I think, 1978, 1979. Yes, it was in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I'm going to guess 1978, about that time, and uh, uh I was visiting the Jenkins family at the time, and um, could have been as, as early as 77, but in any case. Uh, and they were friendly with Natalie White, uh, who was a traditionalist, uh, and uh, Natalie White knew Bishop Mendez somehow, and I don't know how she knew Bishop Mendez, but she did. And I was invited out to lunch with Natalie White and Bishop Mendez. And, uh, well, the, uh, and he shows up in the lay clothes and, uh, he, he just gave me an impression of a very worldly Novus Ordo Bishop. And so much so that I, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with him at the time. And I told uh, Archbishop Lefebvre that I said, you know, he's very liberal and I don't think we should have anything whatsoever to do with him. And, uh, so uh, uh, so I wouldn't even answer his phone calls. I was so horrified by him. 
uh, he actually wanted to donate some. He wanted to donate some land in Arkansas to us, and I just wanted no part of it, and uh, to get involved with him. And so, uh, as a result, uh, I mean, that was that. I, I never, yeah, uh, I didn't see him again until 1989. But that was my very first and very bad impression of him. Uh, I don't remember all the details of why I had such a, a bad impression, but I certainly did. And what's his what's his background? Is he an American? Mendez sounds obviously uh, that it's got a Latin Hispanic feel to it. Uh, the uh, well, he's uh, he was Mendez Gonzalez, uh, and uh, the uh, that means his mother's name is uh, last name is Gonzalez. He was born in Texas, if I'm not mistaken. You know, he would be an American Hispanic, and he was absolutely bilingual. You would never know that he was anything but American when you spoke to him in English, but he was bilingual in Spanish. And he was the bishop, if I'm not mistaken, uh, of Ponce in Puerto Rico. But it was some diocese in Puerto Rico, but I think it was Ponce. And um, so uh, he was made that in the early 1960s, I believe. He was a Holy Cross father before he became a bishop, and, uh, and therefore he was uh, very much involved with Notre Dame because that's Holy Cross fathers. Um, so that, that's his basic background. He was at the first session of the council, and then for some reason he was absent from the second and third, and then he went back to the fourth session, and he said he was horrified by what was going on. However, at the council, uh, he... Uh, did uh, promote the married deacon. Uh, he was very proud of that fact and uh, even wanted to make Father Jenkins' father a married deacon. I mean, it's <laughs> common knowledge. He was always offering to make him a married deacon. And so that was uh, that comes from Bishop Mendez. That was his project, the married deacons. Uh, so if we have them today, we can think about Bishop Mendez. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. So... I'm guessing Father Jenkins, him, uh, Father Jenkins's father did not take them up on that. On that, uh, no, no. Uh, everyone sort of rolled their eyes when he said it, and you know, just changed the subject. You know, but he, he made no uh, attempt to hide the fact that he was in favor of married deacons. So I mean, you know, he, I, I think that he was somewhat influenced by Natalie White, who was a strong traditionalist. Uh, you know, to be more traditional, but he never broke his ties with the Novus Ordo. And he was uh, quite liberal in his ideas. So that was 1978. When did you see him again? I saw him again in 1989 in California, in his home in California. And uh, we had a long talk. Uh, there was, I can't remember all the, t- the details of how the meeting was arranged and took place, but it did. And... Um, my mission there was to convince him to do something for the church, to to ordain or better yet consecrate somebody, uh, in the hope that you know that he was uh, traditional enough to see his way to do that. He explained to me that he wanted to uh, appeal to the Vatican to make a traditional right for all of the traditionalists, and uh, of course under John Paul II at the time including the CMRI, he mentioned that, uh, and put them all under a big umbrella of the traditional right, uh, which would, of course, be side-by-side with the Novus Ordo. And uh, that was his solution, and that he was working on that. 
So that was essentially his response to me on that is, wait until I set up this traditional right. Uh, but we only got down to to that at the end of the conversation because the whole first part, he was telling me stories about, you know, when he was a bishop and, and he also got into a lot of movie stars. Uh, he, he was always hobnobbing with the movie stars. Uh, I don't know how he knew them. He was a great fundraiser for Notre Dame. So that may have been the reason why he knew all of these personalities. Uh, and uh, so, uh, but yeah, you, you got a, an impression of a worldly person, definitely. You know, so, uh, but uh, he, he most of the time was spent in telling me stories. And many of those are movie star stories. <clears throat> now, you mentioned you, you didn't want to have anything to do with him after the meeting in 1978. Was there any change in 1989? No, I mean, I saw him as a Nova Sordo bishop. I think he was slightly more traditional in 89. Uh, but again, I don't know how much of that was to please Natalie White and the traditionalist he may have known. Uh, he, he uh, you know, but his uh he still had liberal ideas and and he was still not in any way convinced that Vatican II and the Novus Ordo were wrong uh it just uh, i think he was on the idea of the indult and and that you know we could work out something between uh the Novus Ordo and the traditionalists and uh so you know i was not pleased at all by you know coming away from from that meeting uh, i just saw him as essentially hopeless well, so that's 1989, and now at the same time in 1989, just to kind of unify the stories, we were hoping to maybe have Father Chikata join us, but we may have him have a companion episode to this episode, but you're still in the SSPV at this time, and Father Chikata and Bishop Dolan are not, and it might be helpful to our listeners who are not familiar with all of that history to kind of explain what happened in 1989, uh, just briefly, to, so that you were still in the SSPV, but you were not, you were not talking with Father Chikata or, or Bishop Dolan at the time, or Father Dolan at the time. Yes, it was uh, July 4th, 1989, that the split took place between the SSPV priests and Bishop, uh, then Father Dolan and Father Chikata. And... Um, the reason was both uh, then Father Dolan and Father Chikata had a lot of grievances against Father Kelly, then Father Kelly, uh, for a lot of things. And you would have to ask them, or I don't recall all the things, but one of them was the uh, expulsion of a nun from Round Top uh, who... Uh, who, you know, was, uh, according to then Father Kelly, making a lot of trouble. And, uh, and but uh, then Father Dolan and uh, Father Chikata took her side in it. And this was sort of a, uh, a catalyst or an occasion for uh, the, the big split because they were already uh, upset. I know Father Chikata was upset by the fact that so much money was being taken away from Oyster Bay and going up to Round Top and where the nuns are. And But you can ask them about their grievances. I just can't remember them. But uh, I was bothered at the time by the fact that they were siding with a nun against the priest. So 
I, I was uh, irritated by that fact. And, and so, yes, I, I was not in contact with either of them for about two years. So in 1990, you get a phone call and from Father McMahon. What was this about? No, uh, he came to see me. Uh, I was walking in the hallway and he said, oh, I have something to tell you. And this was uh, early September 1990. Sorry, uh, so there's this, been is, an ordination. this is in Warren? This is in Warren, Michigan, yes. Okay. Uh, there's been an ordination. I said, oh, uh, what happened? And, well, Bishop Mendez ordained uh, Father Greenwell, Father Baumberger. Uh Oh, I see. Uh, and uh, uh, tell me about it. Uh, and he said, well, you know, I got a call from this call from uh, Father Kelly. And he said that the reason why they couldn't tell me was uh, because it was a secret ceremony. And they, they couldn't tell Father McMahon either. It was a secret ceremony. And uh, so, you know, it just had to be done. He was in the mood to do it. And they, they seized the opportunity. And, and that was that. So, you know, I accepted that as true. I figured, well, if it had to be kept a secret, you know, so what? Because there had been uh, agreed among the priests that no one could seek orders, holy orders, from any bishop without the unanimous consent of the SSPV priests. All right, so uh, they, of course, knew that, and that's why they had to offer a, an excuse to me why they couldn't consult me about this. So now I guess there's two reasons why there would not have been consent for you, uh, Your Excellency. So I, part of it probably is about the priest. So you need to tell us a little bit about these two candidates and uh, the Unakum question. Yes, the uh, see these two candidates uh, had been studying with me during the 1989-1990 academic year, and I gave them a few courses uh, in, in philosophy and theology, as I recall. And, and then they, they stopped in 1989. That was, you know, they, they pulled out in 1989. Uh, excuse me, 1990, at the end of uh, June of 1990, they weren't coming back. But in, in the course of that year, early 1990, one of them said to me, would you object to an ordination being done by an unicum bishop. And I said, yes, I would object to that. So that was it. There was, you know, I needed to be asked apparently. And uh, it's, that's another thing about that group is that everything was in secret uh, and there were secret conversations. No, nothing was ever open and on the table. It was uh, all be done behind curtains and, and uh, a lot of cronyism and, and, people on the inside, people on the outside and all of this. So anyway, the, the seminarians are on the inside apparently, and they had to ask me that question. So, uh, so I said that. So in hindsight, I realized why they didn't want me to know about that ordination. And that is that I would have said no to Bishop Mendez. See, so that would have put the, the kibosh on the whole thing if they were observing the rules. So they decided to tell me that it was a secret thing, and that's why they couldn't uh, tell me about it. See, and so, I guess, did Father McMahon use the term bishop, did he use the name Bishop Mendez when he told you that the ordination was done? Yes, yes. But that what we would give out to the people is Bishop Gonzalez. 
because Bishop Mendez did not want anybody to know about him. Because, and the excuse was, well, his, his family, mother's family's name is Mendez Gonzalez. Well, that would be true in Mexico, but of course it's not true in, in the United States. It's Mendez. And uh, so that, that went out for a few days until they realized that there was no Bishop Gonzalez in the official list of Novus Ordo bishops. And so, well, who is this Bishop Gonzalez? <laughs> mm-hmm. That was the... And so finally they, they let it out that it was Bishop Mendez. Uh, within a fairly short period of time. And uh, so uh, the next thing that happened was... Uh, that there was a celebration of the ordination, a reception down in the school in Cincinnati. Uh, and I forget what, what section of Cincinnati was in, but it was in their old school. They're no longer there. And so I was invited to that uh, because I think they, you see, I had told Father Jenkins and, and then Father Kelly that in, in the summer, I believe, of 1990, that I really wanted out. Uh, that uh, already in 1986 I wanted out because I saw the group as theologically bankrupt. That it was uh, just going nowhere. It was very disorganized. Uh, I just was unhappy with it. And as I said, there was cronyism. Uh, you know, there was uh, decisions made behind doors and then uh, it would be served up to all the priests and everybody had to go along with it. Uh, endless, endless meetings where if you disagreed with something, you would be broken down by hours and hours of talk until you finally gave in. Things like that, you know. Uh, I, I just saw it going nowhere. Uh, and so I was already uncomfortable in 1986. So by 1990, I said I wanted out. So I think that they were trying to prevent my leaving. And so they were being nice to me now. And, you know, why don't you get on the bandwagon with Bishop Mendez? You know, maybe things will get better. Maybe he'll consecrate a bishop, which he eventually did. Uh, you know, I think the idea was, uh, you know, we're going places where we have a bishop, and, and why don't we just stick together? I think that was the idea of my going down there. So, you know, I figured, well, maybe, you know, maybe there's something to this. I didn't know any details. I thought maybe Bishop Mendez had a big conversion or something. I didn't know anything. So... I go down to Cincinnati, and uh, there's you know, reception. I'm sitting at the dais with Father Jenkins next to me and, and others. And uh, this uh, young man comes over, who is now Bishop Santa. And he was maybe 19 or 20 at that point. And, and uh, he starts to talk to Father Jenkins about the ceremony, the ordination ceremony. And I'm sitting there listening to all of these details about the ordination ceremony. So when uh, when he left, when the young man left, I said to Father Jenkins, was he at this ceremony? Uh, yes, he was there, yes. Uh, and uh, I said, uh, who else was there? Uh, uh, well, uh, he mentioned an Al Russo was there, who was a former seminarian of mine. And uh, I said, who else? And, and he said, well, there were about 40 people there. Right <laughs> people. Right. And when when I, I you when, when you heard secret ceremony, you thought this there may be two or three priests. Someone was guarding the door. You know, it's a secret yeah. ceremony. 
Yes, that, that it was uh, in a small room and, and there were just a few priests present and, you know, nobody knew about it. And finally it was announced. That was, that's a secret ceremony. Right. But 40 people is not a secret ceremony. And I realized <laughs> there and then that I was lied to. I was told a big lie. And that the wool had been uh, put over my eyes and, and uh, that uh, I was just being used uh, for their purposes. And, uh, you know, I just felt really, really violated and trashed by, by that uh, whole incident. I did not say another word the whole night to anybody. I was so burning up with rage over what they did to me and how they used me and how they, they deceived me. Uh, I was very, very upset about that, and, and uh, I just, uh, so shortly thereafter, I wrote the letter of resignation uh, because uh, so I that realized would have been that, what, you know, mid September or so, uh, end of September. Uh, I, and the dates are foggy right now, but end of end of September. I know it was uh, before October, uh, and uh, end of September, I wrote the letter of resignation. Uh, I just. Uh, Felt that I was among deceivers. That, that was, uh, you know, I just didn't want any part of it anymore. And uh, so that was. I want to hit pause here for a second, Your Excellency, because you said that as early as 1986, you felt that this was a theo theologically bankrupt organization. But people will say, well, you know, His Excellency did what Catholics believe, the television show with these people. So, you know, how do yes. you, how, how would you reconcile? what you were doing with how you were feeling? Well, it was an initial reaction. It was, it was an initial feeling. Uh, it wasn't that I decided everything is bad and, and I have to bail out. It was, uh, I'm dissatisfied. You know, I'm not happy with this. I went over to Europe in 1986 in order to just uh, talk to priests about different theological issues. I went and saw the Italian priests who had just exited from the Society of St. Pius X. That was in November of 1986. Uh, I just wanted to, I had a long discussion with uh, some French priests, and I, I just wanted to uh, see the sort of a, a bigger world theologically, what other people were thinking and doing. Uh, I just, uh, when, if you had been at those endless meetings that went for the whole day and into the night with talking, 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 Father Kelly was a person that could never bear that you disagree with him. And if he sensed that you disagreed with him, he would essentially talk you down and, and kind of break you down until finally you, you caved in. Uh, that, that was uh, my impression of him. Uh, you know, he, he wanted everybody to be in line with the way he thought. And uh, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, just unhappy with that whole scene. <laughs> but no, I mean, I I still cooperated with them, and you know, I, I didn't uh, find it intrinsically objectionable. It's just I found it dissatisfying. So it took this this final straw, this this act of deception about a so-called secret ceremony, and that you had to find out through a chance conversation at table uh, right. for you to say, you know what, this is it for me. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, uh, it was just deceit. I mean, if they had called me up and said, look, we, we wanted to get these fellows ordained. We knew that you would object. That's why we didn't tell you. 
because we thought it was such a good idea that they be ordained, at least they didn't, they would not have deceived me. They would have been open with me, but there, there was always this closed door decision made in that group, closed door decision with the cronies of, you know, whoever was the crony of the day. Uh, and, you know, with, you know, one of, uh, father Kelly's favorites. And then, then you would be told what the decision is and why you have to go along with it. That was the, uh, uh, and so it was another case of that. Uh, and, and I didn't like it at all. Um, was anybody, was anybody sympathetic when you left? Did anybody say, Oh, you know, uh, no. Sanborn, we're really sorry to see you go and lots of hand wringing no. or, or, uh, here's your, here's your hat and papers. Uh, and you can leave. No, I think there was, uh, you know, I think I was one of the major players in, in the, in the league, so to speak. But uh, and I think they were unhappy to see that happen. That I, you know, I, that it was would be a shock to a lot of people. But um, no, there was no sympathy. You know, they. You know, it was my decision to go. So that's you said the end of September of 1990 is when you wrote that letter, and uh, I, yes. it was received. And and you were still there in Warren, Michigan. So you were at uh, an SSPV. Uh, property, I suppose, and you were you were just continuing to. No, work. I wasn't. It was. I mean, uh, that was the whole thing. I was not in an SSPV uh, property, and but you know, I don't want to really get into all of the property issues. But uh, it was uh, it was something that, in fact, I controlled. Okay. So yeah. you were there in Warren. Um, what happens? Let's say in I think November of 1990. Uh, right around then, uh, they called a priest meeting, and they wanted to have it in Warren. It was, it was sometime around that time. It could have been even early 1991, but it was in the few months after that, after I had resigned. And they wanted to have it in Warren because Warren was a big facility. It was easy to have it there. And so uh, I consented to it. You know, I wanted to be still on a good relationship with them. I, you know, I wasn't. Uh, and, uh, so they had their meeting and, uh, I think one of them said, uh, you know, asked if I could be, uh, if I could attend the meeting and then Father Kelly said, absolutely not. But I did ask them to, that didn't bother me though. I did ask them to consider the evidence that I had been gathering for the validity of the tuck consecrations because I had done a lot of research and uh, gathered a lot of documents and and I copied out all of these documents I, I was asking them would you just listen to my presentation I'll run you through these documents and all of them just rejected the documents and, and just left them on the table and nothing happened so they were not interested in that and which again you know it didn't it surprise me because you know, they were theologically bankrupt. They could at least listen. You know, they might say, we think you're you're full of nonsense. But, you know, they could at least listen to what I said. I, I was a priest for a long time, and people know me. And I think they could have given me the courtesy of at least listening to it. But, no, they wouldn't even do that, which confirmed, uh, you know, this... this uh, this realization that there was an, an attitude, a bad attitude among them, and I really didn't want to be part of that. I really didn't want to. So, 
this is pre-internet, obviously, Your Excellency. We're reflecting yes. on things that happened back in the old days of uh, mimeographs and uh, letters yes. and yes. that sort of Copies thing. So, yes. so at this time, obviously, someone had said that this Bishop Gonzalez had ordained these two uh, priests, and it had gotten back to the Society of St. Pius X. And the district superior at this time would have been Father Linnae. Father Lene. I think so. Sort of Either Father Scott or Lene, but one Father one Scott or Father Lene. So it would have I been a district superior. It would have been district superior of the of the U.S. SSPX, and they wanted clarification. They wanted to find out, you know, who is this guy? The Gonzalez uh, secret code name had been unmasked. They realized it was Bishop Mendez, so they wrote to Bishop Mendez. And and what was the outcome of that? Bishop Mendez wrote a letter back to the uh, district superior saying uh, that uh, the the rumor that you have heard is an ugly rumor and it should not be spread around. So he referred to the 19, September 3rd, 1990 ordinations as an ugly rumor. And Father Lene or whoever the district superior was published that letter. So it went everywhere. And uh, so the the significance of that is this, that uh, Father Kelly's, and I'm referring to him as he was at that time, his whole point against, or what his main point against took was that uh, the, uh, there were, the witnesses could not uh, attest to the fact that he did it right and uh, that uh, uh, he didn't sign, uh, uh, although he wrote out uh, something uh, that he did the consecration, didn't sign it, and uh, things like that, that it was uh, not a, uh, you know, there was not clear certitude that this, in fact, was a consecration. And uh, also that he would, he'd say, he said, Our Lady would not give us a bishop like Bishop Tuck. I mean, he's he's done too many bad things. He's sullied himself, and Our Lady would not give us such a bad bishop. <laughs> and so, uh, they, you know, to have this happen where the bishop calls the, the ordination an ugly rumor really comes back into Father Kelly's face like, like a, a lot of eggs. Imagine if Archbishop Tuck had said about concerning the consecrations that he had done, that they were ugly rumors. My goodness, Father Kelly would have put that up on a wallpaper at Oyster Bay Cove. I mean, he, he that would have been it. You know, look at this. He, he denies having done it, and he calls it an ugly rumor. But they said nothing about that letter. That You see, when it concerned them, it was fine. They all, all of the rules were off when it concerned them. He would have made such hay if that had been Archbishop Tuck. Archbishop Tuck never denied having done those consecrations. And he accepted an excommunication for the consecrations that he did, which is proof positive that he did them. Mm. Uh, and uh, the, uh, But the Bishop Mendez wanted to be under the table about it, and so he called it an ugly rumor. And uh, right, well, that letter is available. Yes. And not only that, we've got uh, Archbishop Took writing out in Latin uh, attestations of the of the consecrations he did. So there's not really yes, doubt, did, doubt did, about uh, it in that way. 
No, he uh, he he wrote one for Carmona, the one that we that uh, survives is the one for Carmona, Bishop Carmona, who was done in 1983 or four, uh, and uh, he wrote out the whole thing in perfect Latin, a very strong handwriting, didn't make a single mistake of, of spelling or grammar or anything, and signed it with a very strong signature. I mean, it's all in his own hand. It's very clearly him. And it's very clearly, uh, it's very clear that he did it. I mean, he, he, you can, he was a, an expert in Latin. I don't know if you know that. Uh, mm. He was very well educated, uh, Archbishop Tucker. And so, you know, <laughs> so that blew up one of uh, Father Kelly's theories. Well, we don't have a, a certificate. And Bishop Dolan came from the line of Carmona. See, so that blew up one of, of uh, but that didn't come out until much later. That came out in the late 90s, I think. Mm. Uh, again, there was no, okay, we accept this. This is nothing from that. Nothing. No concession of of having been wrong about this. And uh, uh, they just went to other other arguments that they, they thought would work. The, uh, the, the real reticence that Father Kelly had for Archbishop Tuck was that you know, he had ordained people he should not have ordained. Uh, he, he, of course, did the, the bishops in Parma de Troya, which was a scandalous thing. Uh, although he did certificates for all of them too, and and uh, uh, you know that it was just somebody not to be associated with. Why and didn't he apply the extent, same criteria to Archbishop Lefebvre? Because Archbishop Lefebvre definitely ordained people he shouldn't have. Yes, uh, and that's you know a point that I have always made is that all of the traditional bishops that did anything for tradition, each had his own problems. Uh, in Archbishop Lefebvre, you had a person who was, you know, uh, of supreme decency and and you know uh, uh, dignity and so forth. But yes, I mean he ordained a number of people uh, that uh, turned out uh, and even. I, I know in certain cases he knew uh, their problems, uh, but um, uh, the uh, uh, but worse than that was that he had the spirit of compromise with the Novus Ordo, um, and I, that to me is the worst problem of all. And I think that he, although he he should be given credit for having ordained many priests, he nevertheless should be criticized for his constant uh, uh, attempt to make a compromise with the Novus Ordo, because that has misled perhaps 90% of the people who have reacted to Vatican II. And they are now on a path of return to the Novus Ordo. That's all Archbishop Lefebvre. I think that's the worst of all of the problems that that, uh, that the traditional bishops had. Um, the... Uh, uh, the uh, Archbishop Tuck's problem was that he had done Parma de Troya, which was extremely imprudent to do, and that he had ordained uh, somebody by the name of Laborie. He reconsecrated some. No, he consecrated. I'm not sure whether it was a, 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 a conditional or not, but in any case, he consented to consecrate this person who actually had an old Catholic community. You know, a non-Catholic community. But the circumstances were this, that this person, Laborie, was proposed to Archbishop Tuck by a Catholic traditionalist Dominican. 
as mm. someone who wants to reconcile his group with the Catholic Church uh, and was trying to accomplish this through uh, Cardinal Ottaviani, but they would not permit him to retain the traditional Mass. And so this, the idea was that I'm, I'm giving up this old Catholic affiliation. Uh, I want to be a Catholic community. Would you, Archbishop Tuck, I think it was reconsecrate me because my consecration was uh, dubious. And this was at the recommendation of a Dominican. So Archbishop Tuck, and there's no secret that he was a very gullible person. He was easily talked into things. That's no secret at all. He did it. However, later on, he said, if I had known what that man was like and all of the facts about him, I would never have done it. And that was swept under the rug by the, the Kelly people. So he, why he repudiated think, what, it later because he said, I just didn't know what, what all the facts were. Why do you think he was willing to give Archbishop Lefebvre a pass, but he wouldn't give Archbishop Tuck a pass? Uh, because uh, uh, I think he would say that to consecrate somebody who is uh, uh, a non-Catholic, uh, you know, makes you, uh, makes you a non-Catholic. That is not true, but that's what he would say. And that Archbishop Lefebvre never uh, consecrated a non-Catholic uh, and so forth. And therefore, they're not in the same category. I mm. think that would be his answer. Well, I, so to put this in context, the period of 1990 to 1995, um, you, you said Father Chicada called this the round tuck era instead of the round top era. Yes. And um, in yes, 1991, I was all of the research that I had done in Sacerdotium. Sacerdotium was a, a little magazine that I put out four times a year. And all of the research that I had done, I was putting out in that. And, we, and, and I was cooperating with Father Jakarta. We published a number of booklets, putting out all of the evidence of the validity of the Tuck consecrations. Father Kelly was responding with thunder and lightning. Uh, in his in his bulletin and saying all sorts of nasty things and uh, and uh, but the nastiest thing that I heard I never saw it in print but I heard and which he later admitted was that the only reason I'm supporting the tough consecration is because I want to have myself consecrated a bishop hmm. when I heard that again uh, I thought these people are really low that they would think that I would purposely promote something I knew to be invalid or dubious in order to promote my own glory, and that I would expose people to invalid or dubious sacraments for my own ends. That is about as low as you can go in, in saying something about a priest. And I realized again that these, these people, <laughs> I want nothing to do with them. I mean, this is, these are not nice people. And, uh, and and that's because he is so convinced that he's right about something that if you disagree with him, it, it can't be because you have any reason to disagree with him. It's because you have some bad motive to disagree with him. Mm. I, I know Father Kelly very well, and and that was it's not possible, you know, that he's wrong. So if you disagree, it's for some evil motive that you disagree with. Uh, and and so the evil motive was my own vain glory. I thought that was really really low to say that. Mm. Uh, 
especially that I had known him for so many years. <clears throat> now you mentioned Father Chikada. Uh, obviously, you weren't you weren't on speaking terms between eighty nine and ninety one because of that internal conflict you talked about. But Father Chikada reached out yes. to you, and, and you all decided yes. to start start working together again. Yes, that's correct. Yes. So during that period, the nineteen ninety to nineteen ninety five era, uh, there was a, as you say, an exchange of of documentation. You were putting forth the case that the tuck, uh, tuck lines were perfectly acceptable and that Catholics could avail themselves of uh, sacraments from, from the, that clergy. And he was yeah. responding that that's a crazy idea and who would do such a thing. And we get to spring of, of 95. Uh, this is after the death of Bishop Mendez. I think you said it was January the 29th of 1995. Yes. Yes. That's when he died. Yes. So after he dies, the Roman Catholic has a special edition uh, sort of promoting Bishop Mendez. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, they put out a special edition in which they announced that Father Kelly had been consecrated a bishop in October of 1993, but that they had to keep it a secret until Bishop Mendez died. So uh, so they did a, a big promotion of Bishop Mendez, uh, you know, being consecrated by Cardinal Spellman and uh, you know, as if he were a great traditional bishop. And everyone knew that he was not a great traditional bishop, that he was a very, very worldly person and a very liberal person, and uh, that he was tight with, you know, more liberal than thin uh, uh, Notre Dame University, uh, tight with all of those people, uh, you know, hobnobbing with movie stars and uh, the... the uh, uh, he, uh, uh, you know, it just uh, uh, it, a lot of things that, that came to light about him that were disturbing as someone very worldly and and, and liberal, you know. So, but so that again was, to my mind, a deceit that you know here Archbishop Tuck is the evil monster and a bishop that would never be given to us by Our Lady. And Bishop Mendez was the, the bishop on the white horse that has been given to us by Our Lady. So that right. was the obvious. And so, uh, yes, I put out uh, a, uh, a letter about Mission, Bishop Mendez, what I knew about him. And, and so, of course, that enraged Father Kelly, Bishop Kelly then. And so he wrote uh, in response to that a book about me, essentially how horrible I am called the sacred and the profane, and I don't have to tell you who's sacred and who's profane. Uh, <laughs> what's in, interesting in that book, though, was that, again, the the, uh, the people who were guarding the, uh, the righteousness uh, of the sacraments and their validity and all, he put in a page where he showed the uh, actual pontifical use, uh, you know, a, a facsimile of the page used where the form is used, uh, where the form is shown, the essential form. This is what Bishop Mendez used to to ordain the priests in in, uh, in 1990. Well, the form was in the singular. You see, when you're ordaining one person, you use one form, and then <laughs> using more than one, there's a different part of the book. And that has it all in plural. If you say, if you say to two people in the singular, 
I ordain you, or you receive the Holy Ghost, and they you and you as, as singular. Well, which one is it? <laughs> well, you it's see somebody, the problem? I guess. <laughs> so he caught that. I mean, somebody pointed it out. Of course, Father Chicago saw it right away. And then he had to put out a letter saying, well, this is a mistake. It's actually, this is the page. And of course, it was the plural form. But these are the people who say they're the guardians of the, the validity of the sacraments. And their bishop says that, that the, the ordination that he did was, was uh, a, an ugly rumor. And then he, Bishop Kelly, can't get right what, what book he used or what page of the book he used. And, and you know, these are the ones, uh, the nice and shining armor, uh, which I, I thought was just absurd that you can't even figure it out. And here you're putting this out as an attack upon me. Uh, and uh, and but that gets back to the the problem of the 1990 ordination too, uh, because they admit and they admitted to me uh, that um, uh, that the he he Bishop Mendes messed up the form, uh, in the essential form, and that it had to be done again. Now that might sound. Terrible, but that occasionally happens, you know, sometimes the, the prelate is nervous or, you know, for some reason or other, there might be a distraction or you just, by human error, you, you just say something wrong. You just say it again. I mean, it's not a terrible thing that that happens, but as long as you say it again, right. And so, uh, now these are the, the, you see, Father Kelly there had the two Hawkeye priests himself and Father Zapp, who were there precisely to determine whether he did it right. Well, there are four different stories about what he did among the priests who were there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, four different stories. Uh, Father Zapp says that, and this is all on the internet, uh, traditionalmass.org, you can look it up. Uh, Father Zapp said he, that although he pronounced everything else, uh, in the in the pontifical well up to the essential form that he tore through the essential form in such a way that it was unintelligible. He garbled it. And then, uh, so F F Father Kelly thought, oh yes, this needs to be done again. So now this is Father Zapp's story. He did it again. And Father... Kelly said to Father Zapp, did he get it right that time? Father Zapp said, I think so. Okay. And Father Zapp said he garbled it again just as badly as the first time. That's Father Zapp's story. And I've talked to him many times about it. Father Kelly's story is that he missed one word and he switched the accent on one word in the first pronunciation of it. And then in the second one, he got it right. Father Zapp says, absolutely, that is false. Okay? Absolutely, that's false. There's no question of that. It's false. Then there's Father Jenkins' version, and that is that a, a that after the second pronunciation, a third pronunciation was done of it, and Bishop Mendez asked for a book in the sacristy, one that he was more familiar with, perhaps a small pontifical, I don't know what it was, just a book. And Father Jenkins fetched it, and that he did the form a third time from the small book. All right? Then, recently, I, there were some Australian people that were concerned about this, 
They contacted Father Baumberger. This was in the past year or two. And said, what's your story? He said, there was no third time. He was absolute about the fact that there was no third time. (laughs) Now, I'm... I'm just pointing this out that these are the, the guardians of, of validity and everything that's right, holy, and true and good. And, you know, against us who are the evil ones who are, are, are you know, the, not paying attention to the validity of the sacraments, they cannot agree on what happened at that ceremony. These are the very people there to determine what happened, and they cannot agree. Now, if that had happened with Archbishop Tuck, could you imagine what Father Kelly would have said that they cannot agree about what he did? Mm-hmm. So again, you know, I see hypocrisy there, and uh, you know, I, I, it's just uh, it was another episode uh, that made me sick. Uh, it's, I don't want anything to do with these people. You know, it's uh, such a double standard. Uh, and, you know, they blithely go on <laughs> despite all of this. I mean, I can't tell you to this day what happened. I have no idea whether that was done validly or not. I have no idea. You know, you have to decide for yourself. Well, I mean, goodness, four different stories. It, 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 I suppose it, 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 the, the, the challenge and the tragedy is we're talking about, you know, sacraments and, and bishops here and priests and... Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's darkly comical uh, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and amateurish really. Um, the whole point of having those, as you said, the two Hawkeyes there were to make sure that something like this didn't happen, and it seems Correct. so. Uh, it precisely did. Correct. Uh, I mean, it, with given the the all of the contradictions of the testimony of the eyewitnesses, it would seem to me that you would have to redo the ordination. Now, you wrote this letter, this sort of uh, war of words interrupted, and you just you didn't want to have anything to do with that anymore. You 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 had you had said your piece about Bishop Mendez, and you said that the the faithful were very disturbed about the whole thing, and you just thought, you know what, I'm just going to leave it. Yes, uh, the the book that Bishop Kelly wrote uh, was you know the ultimate response to me, and uh, I felt that uh, yeah the, the faithful were were very heavily burdened by it. They didn't want to read anything else. They just wanted to get on with their lives. And I was not going to respond to the book. And, and that's really the end of it in that sense. I mean, uh, there hasn't been much talk since uh, on that. You know, it, was, it, was, it was finished. So obviously, so that, that, that's 1990 through 1995. And, and we're here, it's 2016. Your Excellency, I suppose there's some rest of the story comments that that we could add here, because you can say, well, it's been status quo since that time. Um, I think I don't remember Bishop Dolan had said he ran into either Father Baumberger or Father Greenwell in an airport, and he was greeted as Your Excellency, uh, something yes, along those that's lines. Right. That's right. Uh, and then you you've been up you've been up to New York with Father Selway. I think he has a relative up there who's a nun. Uh, and yes, someone, well, did, his, someone his grandmother died. Okay, so I'll let you his, tell the his story. Gran- Father Selway's grandmother died in uh, July of 2010, and I knew her very, very well, and she was uh, very attached to Round Top, uh, and uh, the uh, she has a daughter there who's the mother superior, and so 
I thought it appropriate that I go to the funeral, and they said, anybody can come. There's no restrictions. So I thought, okay, I'll go. And uh, people were coldly cordial to me, if those two words go together. Uh, But they were insistent on calling me father. You see, they would say, hello, father. And, uh, uh, you know, everybody, they were all trained to call me father. And, uh, you know, nobody mistreated me or anything. I I got into a conversation with a few people, uh, even briefly with Bishop Sante, who was as cold as ice, even though I knew him uh, when he was 18 years old saying mass in Chicago, you know, and uh, I knew him as as a young man and, you know, we were quite friendly and, you know, he was, uh, and, but now, now he was, you know, cold as ice to me, but cordial. And uh, the uh, uh, so after all of that, you know, I tell I we're, we're back in in uh, Florida, and I tell Father Selway my experiences. Well, they took Father Selway over to the seminary, and he played basketball with the seminarians, and everyone was calling him Father. He said nobody called him Mr. Selway or Deacon Selway, nothing. I mean, he would be Mr. Selway for them. He was father. Everyone called him father. Well, I guess they didn't get the They didn't get the memo, I guess. No, you know, he was. Uh, 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 they, if I'm father, he can't be. He can't be anything but Mister. But uh, you know, so. In a way, it tells me something else about them that uh, in their own hearts, I don't think they take it as seriously as Father Kelly does or Bishop Kelly. Uh, I I don't think they do. I think that, uh, you know, for as long as he's alive, they they have to march with him. But there are other indications that they just don't take it that seriously. (laughs) And their people don't take it that seriously. Their people cross over quite a bit. Just don't don't take it that seriously. They, they have certain diehards and all, but uh, they uh, they don't. Uh, like for example, I know in Florida there's a, a family that goes to one of their mass centers uh, in Starkey, which is north of us, good deal north of us. And they told me the family told me that the boy their boy can serve mass, but he can't go to communion. Now figure that out. Yes, that he can serve the mass. He serves the mass when they go, but he can't go to Holy Communion. Now, if you are a, if you have to be refused Holy Communion because you're in in contact with these evil people and non-Catholics, so they 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 treat us like you know, everything evil. How could you be a server? How could you be anything else but tolerated in the pew? But now he serves, but he can't receive Holy Communion. Okay. I mean, you know, it, it makes no sense at all. It, it, and, and it tells me, you know, all those like Father Greenwell calling Bishop Dolan your excellency. Uh, it, it, you know, I just get a feeling that they see that the whole thing doesn't hold water either. Uh, but they have to maintain this, this sort of uh, Wizard of Oz facade that, that it's all true. Uh, I, I sense that, but we'll see with time. You never know. But I think so it's for as long as Bishop Kelly. 
Yeah, so I was going to say, do you think that this, when when Bishop Kelly passes on to to the next life, that that this will there'll be some sort of rapprochement? I mean, because I I, I don't really know how the SSPV has sort of continued on. Has it really been around his personality? Is it built for the future without him? Uh, I, I don't. I don't, I don't really think know. anybody knows. They are so secret. They are a walled city. They are so secret. I don't think anybody knows what's going on in there. Uh, and uh, but uh, and I know those, uh, or I've heard that those uh, young priests that he that he and Bishop Sante have ordained have some sort of vow that they'll never go near us or something. A vow. Uh, I, I've I've heard that. Uh, yes, I've heard it. Now you know. Again, it's a walled city and there's no gate, no okay. windows. You know, it, it's they are in. Uh, they have painted themselves into a corner. And I think they have realized that. Okay. Well, uh, I suppose the the end of the story is you're actually somewhat tied to um, uh, Father Chikata's most recent video, right? That there are quite a few conflicts. This is what happens when you have uh, the absence of the Holy Father. And uh, you've been reluctant to discuss it in the past. I appreciate you being willing to go on the record and explain these things. And as I said, not because it's important to dredge up uh, old stories, but to make sure that people understand for the historical record exactly what happened. Because in some cases, this is how some people are getting their sacraments, is from clergy related to all of these things. Yes, uh, and I, I think they should make a decision about uh, the two priests from 1990. I think they should go on the Internet, read all the evidence, and, and make a decision. And what decision they make is their own, and I, I have nothing to say about it. But they should know that, you know that there are four different versions about what went on, and that they do admit that, that it was done wrong the first time. They all admit that. Uh, so you know, what happened the second time or the third time is really key. Uh, and uh, so, uh, uh, so they, they uh, yes, I think people, uh, and they, yes, they should understand the background. I don't know if they've gotten our side of it. They should at least listen to it. And, uh, uh, but, I mean, on the other hand, I would say, you know, uh, like the young priests uh, that uh, have been trained uh, up at Round Top, uh, they make a good impression. I think they're they seem to be well trained. They have a good reputation. Uh, you know, that's why I'm reluctant, you know, to dredge up all of this stuff because, you know, if they're doing basically a good job of saving souls and of promoting the Catholic faith, uh, I am very reluctant to to pick up old rocks and throw them at them. You know, I I think it's better just to let things alone, but. I understand your point that yes, these things should be aired, and that at least uh, you know the other side should be stated. I was going to say it's very kind of you. Actually, maybe you're getting softer in your in your uh, older in your older age. Because I just, think just for say me, old age, old age. Why don't you just? Say? <laughs> well, I have to be. I have to be respectful. Um, I think for me, the big challenge is that they're opinionists up there. I mean, they, 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 yes. those young priests yes. may be formed well, and they yes. may make a good impression, but they're they're still they're still not yes. forming people properly. Yes, that is, uh, and again, I, I think that was one of the things I was picking up on, uh, you know, in the 80s, is the opinionism, and uh, that bothered me. Uh, and I wrote that uh, in in the uh, in the letter of my resignation, uh, uh, referring to that. 
yes, that is a big difference. And opinionism keeps the open door to the Novus Ordo. Because when mm. you're an opinionist, you're saying, well, the opposite opinion may be true. That's the very definition of opinion, is that I hold this, but there are strong arguments to the contrary. And that means not only, because if you say the strong arguments that he be the Pope, then you're also saying the strong arguments that the Novus Ordo is Roman Catholicism, because they go together. He cannot be the Pope if the Novus Ordo is not Roman Catholicism. And if he is the Pope, then, then the Novus Ordo is Roman Catholicism. They are absolutely bound up together. So to be an opinionist about whether he's the Pope or not means that logically you're an opinionist about whether Vatican II and its changes are wrong or not. So it's an open door to the Novus Ordo. It also is a disrespect to the Roman Pontiff because you cannot oppose somebody who has gone through a, a, a valid election at, a, at all appearances and say, well, in my opinion, you know, he's not the Pope. I mean, you could not have said that about Pius X or Pius XI. Well, you know, I, I have an opinion that he's a heretic and therefore it's my opinion he's not the Pope. If you had said that in a rectory, you would have been stoned to death. <laughs> you, you, you can't put up your opinion against what is the possession of the superior. There's a general moral principle that the, to the superior belongs presumption. That if you have a doubt about him, his the fact that he is superior it, it gives him presumption. So you cannot have an opinion about whether somebody is a pope or not. <laughs> See, that's uh, you, you can't just say, well, I won't mention Pius XI in the canon because in my opinion he's not the pope. Oh my mm. goodness. So, you know, it's the only thing that we can oppose to Vatican II is the fact that we are certain that Vatican II and its changes are opposed to the Roman Catholic faith. That this is an assault on our faith, and we are certain about it, and we can prove it. If we have anything less than that, then we become just like the R and R people. Well, we don't agree with this, or we think this, and you know, either it, it's it's war or it's peace. It's either we go against it totally, or we we make friends with it. It cannot be anything in the middle. There's no gray area in the middle. Otherwise, we become just like Protestants. Mm. And I think the opinionism of the SSPV is very dangerous. I agree with that. So I suppose uh, to close out today's episode, and, and I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to Trad Controversies on member-supported Restoration Radio. And Trad Controversies is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio, all rights reserved. Any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Your Excellency, what would, how would you end today's episode? What, what would you like to leave our listeners with? They've, they've heard this uh, story. It's somewhat depressing insofar as, you know, we, we, don't like, we don't like hearing about controversial things, but it's important to clear up uh, 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 stories and make sure that people have all the facts. What would you, what would you tell our listeners uh, both about reflections on what has happened and how to move forward in the future? Well, I would say that they, you know, as best they can, they should weigh the facts uh, as best they can. And I know that it's difficult for them even to research the facts or to come to certitude about the facts, but uh, that, uh, uh, and they need to uh, distinguish between these controversies that we have, which are due ultimately to the lack of a pope, because they would all be cleared up by a pope in a single hour if you were reigning. 
uh, distinguish between that and the the unity of faith that all traditionalists have, uh, at least all state of Acantists have, and that is the the that that is the, the unity of the Catholic faith. The controversies are controversies, and they're going to be there for as long as we're without a pope. But they should take solace in the unity of faith among all of us, uh, and and that we are all ultimately striving for the same thing, and that is the preservation of the faith and the destruction of the changes of Vatican II. And, you know, while, yes, there's plenty of disagreement, and while these disagreements are important, I don't want to just, you know, cast them aside as mere, mere bagatelles. These uh, disagreements are important. Nevertheless, they must see beyond them in a certain sense and say, well, the, there's a unity of faith here, uh, which is very, very important. And I'll say one last thing. One last okay. thing that Bishop Kelly always said that the disagreement among traditional Catholics is a sign of their... Because Catholics will only listen to the Pope. Mm. And that's true. That the, you know all of these internecine conflicts are a sign that there's no Pope, and Catholics will not listen to anyone but the Pope. And that's very true. You know, uh, Despite our differences, he was a person that had a lot of insight. And I was going to say, that's a rather poignant way to end the episode, Your Excellency, by p- pointing out something that you both agreed on, and I appreciate that. Yes, yes. Thanks so much for your time, you. and uh, we look forward to seeing you on future episodes on the network. All right. Thank you very much. Goodbye. So if you have any questions for clarification on this, you can send an email to controversies at truerestoration.org, and we can clarify any points of fact or questions that you might have. All of us here at Member Supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful, or beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I'm Stephen Heiner. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.